Welcome to In the Center of Her Power podcast, where you can get divine feminine soul food. The divine feminine is re-establishing itself in the world, and you need tips and tools to make it your own. Today is November 30th, 2021, and it is after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a holiday in the United States, and it marks the day that the pilgrims who immigrated from Great Britain were able to learn how to survive in the Americas. They learned with the assistance of the people who were already here, who showed them how to plant and how to survive the cold weather. The indigenous Americans that helped them were later slaughtered by the same people who sought their help. Many lands were taken and, and you know, many people died. And it's now, just now, that indigenous cultures in the United States are starting to rebuild and get stronger and recapture their spiritual knowledge. And some are even sharing their spiritual wisdom with the rest of the world. This is my acknowledgement of indigenous peoples in the Americas. Of course, there are many cultures throughout the Americas that um, are different. So today's guest is not from North America the United States or Canada, but she is actually from South America by way of, well, I shouldn't say by way of, she went to college in Canada. Corianka is an Incan high priestess, medicine woman, and transformational guide for awakened women who want to step into their sacred destiny and live with authenticity in their divine essence. She is a Peruvian native with a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing earned in Canada. She comes from an ancient healing tradition of the Incan lineage. In her work as a priestess, she continues sharing the ancient spiritual practices and teachings as part of her ancestral legacy. She midwives the rebirth of women around the world into a bright new life of purpose and assists priestesses, healers, and creatives step into the highest level of leadership through high ceremony based upon traditional Incan and Amazonian plant medicine and sacred retreats in Cusco, Peru and through online retreats and mentoring programs via alturasspiritualjourneys.com. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the following interview. Listen. Greetings, beloved. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Center Her Power podcast. Today I have a very special guest. She is Corianka Cornejo, and she's an Incan high priestess. She actually um, is such a trailblazer, and she is doing marvelous work in Peru, and she's going to tell us more about all the fabulous things that she does. Thank you so much for joining me, Corianka. Hey, thank you so much, Sana, for your invitation. It's lovely to be here with you. Yes, and... You are doing some really amazing work. I know you spent a lot of time in Canada, and you actually attended university in Canada. 
and you are a nurse. And I read on your website that you at one point were working on a reservation. Is that right? Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. That was a year and a half that has been an amazing experience of getting to know um, a native Canadian community in a very small, beautiful island in northern BC. I effectively lived in the reserve and I worked alongside uh, local people um, in the hospital there that they had. Wonderful. So you're originally from Peru, is that right? Yes, I am from Peru. I grew up in Lima, uh, but my family, uh, from my mother and father's side of the family, um, they're all from South Peru, from the Andes, from the Lake Titicaca region. Wow, wow. That's that's really interesting. I've heard of Lake Titicaca. Yeah. And how do you pronounce it? Pronounce it for me again. Lake Titicaca. Lake Titicaca. The highest in altitude, the highest lake in altitude in the world. Mm. How was it translating life from living in the mountains to living in a big city like Lima? Or I guess maybe you didn't really know. Did you spend time going back and forth? Um, very little when I was a child. But actually, I want to share with you a memory I have. The first memory of being alive in this earth, this lifetime, is actually mountains. Um, when I was one year old or so, my parents took me to Puno, to that province uh, where the Lake Titicaca is, and they climbed a mountain. They were going to visit someone, an elder, who lived up in a mountain, and it was a, a sunset. I And I can remember seeing the mountains far away and the sunset. My father was taking me in his arms, and I was looking, you know, back, and I could see this flat-top mountain, and that's my first memory of being alive. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, most of us have migrated or traveled or moved from one place to another, a place that may be different from our ancestors. I won't say most of us, but many people have experienced moving. And and in the move, sometimes we are able to take our culture, and sometimes we have to leave certain things behind. You are an Incan priestess, and is that something that you were raised with, or is it something that you had to, to go back and, and pick up? Uh, I grew up actually very disconnected from my spiritual roots and my Incan lineage. Um, when I moved to North America, to Canada, uh, interestingly enough, actually that's where the awakening happened, thanks to A Dark Night of the Soul um, as a young adult. Um, being in depression and going through post-traumatic stress disorder and feeling so lonely, so lonely and uh, feeling really like a victim. It was a really tough life experience, one that totally changed my life. That's when the need arised for me to receive deep healing and not only to heal the episodes and everything that had took me to the dark night of the soul, but also um, my childhood traumas and all of that sense of not good enough feeling, all of, the, all of the things, it all became like the perfect storm 
for me to make a huge life transformation. And that transformation really was coming back to my essence, returning to getting to know myself, you know, deeply and who I was and why I had incarnated. Um, So through the healing process is that I actually came in touch with my spiritual lineage and the healing traditions because um, my spiritual teacher, my first spiritual teacher and some other amazing people who supported my healing said to me at some point, you need to go back to Peru and heal with your own medicine. There is powerful medicine there and you need to heal with that medicine. And so these teachers of mine were North American and I listened and I paid attention and I did it. I came back to Peru for my healing. Um, I healed in Incan ceremonies first and later I came back for uh, plant medicine ceremonies in the tradition of the Amazonian people. And all of that uh, not only helped me uh, retrieve pieces of me and heal the wounds that I had, but I remember who I was and what I was here for. Like I had this childlike excitement and desire to learn more about the Incan tradition, for instance. Yes. I want to go back, if we could, to what was the exact thing that that let you know that you were in the dark night of the soul? Was there a particular event that happened? Yeah. And because I'm really interested in this because I'm, this is something that I think I'm going to be exploring on um, the next season is pivotal experiences and how, and how they help us to transform. Is there anything you can share about the exact moment that you realized you needed to um, to walk a spiritual path because you know if you were an immigrant and you were here you were studying and and I would imagine you were um, living a life that m- many people would dream about. Would would you say that yeah. that's true? Oh yeah, that is so true, Sana. I was living uh, the immigrant, uh, you know, American dream in a way. Sure, I was successful by all means. Um, Whoever that would look from the outside would think that, wow, I had it all. You know, I had made it. I had immigrated to this beautiful city. Vancouver is the most beautiful city ever with nice people, kind people. And everything was pretty. Everything was beautiful. I had my my career. Um, and it was a really respected career with a good paycheck, I must add. You know, the work was tough, sure, but I also wanted to help people in meaningful ways. So in a way, it felt like it was the perfect fit, uh, yet I was not a great fit for the career when it came to the technical stuff, and besides, I was uh, an empath who didn't know she was an empath. And, yes, and so am I. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. I'm just realizing it recently. Yes, and it's mm-hmm. tough when you are an empath in the middle of chaos, in the middle mm. of drama. Like, can you imagine emergency situations at the hospital, life and death situations where an empath doesn't know she's an empath and she's thrown into the experience and she has this much responsibility to to help save, you know, this person or whatever. The- I, I can't imagine. Let me just say, I used to be a, um, a candy striper, a volunteer in the hospital when I was about 14. Oh my goodness, yes. And I thought I so really wanted to become a doctor idea. and really want to help people. But I couldn't take it. I couldn't take. I couldn't take being on the floor with the patients. So I can only imagine just from that little snippet of of of, 
of experience what you must have been going through, like actually on the hospital floor. It was horrible when, when you know, things became that, that terribly difficult. You know, you had someone coming through emergency that might be a heart attack. You know, this other patient is super sick. He might die. Nobody wants someone to die, you know, under their care. Of course, it's, it was very dramatic. And I suffered and I had so much stress going on. And on top of that, you know, parallel to that experience at work where I was struggling, you know, like really I was struggling, um, I I got married to my very, uh, you know, my, my first husband. He was my one and only boyfriend ever. And we had been dating for seven years. And I thought he's the one. And of course, he thought this is it. You know, we're getting married. We're going to have a family. Now I have a career, a new husband. And yet at some point I realized that as much as I care about this person and as much as I love him, I was not deeply, truly in love and he was not the one. However, I had a sense of um, responsibility and I grew up on, always, you know, wanting to be a good girl and it felt horrible, you know, just to think of the idea of leaving this man and breaking his heart and you know, just kind of like abandoning our dream that we had in common. You know, I I just want to say, you know, being a good girl, I, I wanted to be a good girl too. <laughs> and that's really a difficult, it's, it's kind of, as my mother used to say, it's a trick bag. Like you, you put yourself in a situation that you really can never really win because you are going to have to do some things that are difficult and they may hurt. It may hurt someone. Yeah. So up to that point, I had never gone through such a situation where I had to make such a tough decision. And so I got married and I was married to this man for two years until I finally let go of the marriage. And the reason why I did it is because I, I truly believe divine spirit came through me and gave me the thoughts I had at that moment. I was depressed silently. Nobody knew I was depressed. My parents thought I was happily married. My husband thought, you know, we're you know, doing very well. And then I was depressed. And I thought um, that day... I am, you know, you, oh no, actually it was like, like this. Um, I heard this voice in my head that said, you are doing more harm to him by staying than if you leave. If you leave, mm. then he's going to have an opportunity to, to be happy. He's going to be able to have another wife, family, everything he wants. Um, and of course, I knew that that was not what really I, I wanted. And I was feeling trapped in that situation. Um, so when I realized that right away, I spoke up. The next day we we had spoken and he was leaving the home. My parents learned about it. It was a horrible, horrible drama, family drama for everyone. My parents felt um, like I, everyone thought I was the bad guy in the story, of course, because I was breaking the marriage. I was the one destroying and their dreams and desires, everybody's expectations were totally like shattered and I was the one to blame. That's when I, I felt really that I had lost everything and everyone, right? Everyone that used to love me no more. Um, I was the bad guy in the story. And that's when I left and I went to that small island I was telling you about in Northern BC to work uh, somewhere else because I just didn't feel that there was a place for me any longer there in that community, right? I was going to see them on the street or they could come and, and um, 
Anyway, so it, it was that, you know, I needed to take some distance and they didn't want to talk to me anyways. Um, so it was a really tough, tough time to go through. My whole identity and sense of who I was and family life, everything um, was kind of destroyed and I had to create a new. Um, so I went through that period of the dark night of the soul. Uh, yeah. You know, I wanted to tell you, I, I, I'm so glad you, you mentioned what you said, what you did, because... I when I was in college, there was a, a man who wanted to marry me and I wanted to finish college. I, I didn't want to come back to Detroit. I wanted to 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 see the world. And I really felt very guilty. And I felt like I was the bad guy for choosing a path that was right for me. Isn't it interesting how as a good girl, <laughs> society says this is what your life is supposed to be and you should never turn your back on someone who would marry you, even if the marriage is not a good one. So I really commend you for taking the step to end the relationship. But it seems like, and I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about what you think the spiritual lessons were from that experience. So it seems like you, it was almost like you exiled yourself once yeah. the relationship ended. Yes. Yes. Um, there were many spiritual lessons, many spiritual lessons. Um, one of them, one of them was, well, this is, I think the biggest one of them all at the end of the day, it was forgiveness. Um, I learned from the beginning to forgive myself and forgive everyone involved because it was really painful for everyone involved. Um, I, you know, I had to kind of revisit every, everything, you know, the whole scenario from everybody's point of view, uh, how this hurt my parents' feelings and their illusions of having their daughter well married and with a nice career and having children right away and then becoming grandparents. I had to also understand where my ex-husband was coming from. Of course, he had to be angry and disappointed. Like I totally understood that, um, even though it was sad for me, you know, someone who I really care for, that all, all of a sudden he pretty much hates me, like knowing that he had horrible feelings for me, probably for what had happened, understanding myself and forgiving myself for any shortcomings or um, the things that I did or didn't do or the timing of breaking the marriage. Um, you know, like you could always say, well, what if I had done this in a different way? What if I had done this uh, in this other way? Could it have been less hurtful? Could it have been easier for everyone? Could I have prevented people from, you know, going through the pain in some way? But I, you know, I had to forgive me and forgive them. Um, that was the biggest and most important um, homework that I had, <laughs> let's say, from the beginning. And then over the years, it also became an ongoing thing um, as, as my parents especially were really adamant to keep themselves in their position of, power and judging me and not wanting to forgive me <laughs> and all of that. So it's, it's been a very important lesson for me spiritually when it comes to love um, and forgiveness, which is an expression of love anyways. And I would imagine that having gone through that gives you a sense of understanding that really helps you in the work that you do. Well, once you have gone through that kind of an experience where 
you have felt guilty of stuff and you have been judged harshly by the people that you love the most, then um, nothing else, nothing else can really be something that you can judge, I feel. This is one thing that also I believe is a decision that you get to make. I decided, because again, going through this experience taught me so many things. One of them being also that I used to be super judgmental as a child, as a young adult, uh, because that's the environment in which I grew up. You know, judgment, you know, was everyday stuff. And I didn't realize that until I was the one that was harshly judged, the one that was on that receiving end of the judgment. Um, so I decided that I didn't want to judge anyone ever again. And I have done my very best, you know, after that point on to to be all about understanding, forgiving, and, and having compassion for people's experiences. And that is important because I am a, a medicine woman, a healer um, in my sacred work. I get to work with many women, and of course, nobody's perfect. They have also gone through their own stuff and made their own mistakes. And, um, you know, my job is not to judge anyone, but to hold them and support them in growing and forgiving themselves a lot of the, the times, too. You know, that's part of the path of growth. Yes, forgiveness. Yes, it can be challenging to do. <laughs> it sounds good, but it's, I mean, it's, it's challenging to do. And, and, and if you were able to forgive yourself and really move into a place of, of power, um, spiritual power, then I think that's really a, um, that's really great. That's really a testament to the work that you were able to, the, the inner work that you were able to complete. What do you think? And this is, um, I think we can answer this question. What do you think the impact of the spiritual awakening that is happening in North America, how do you think it's impacting the rest of the world? Do, do, what, what, what is it that you see is, is, what is it that you see? Well, I guess that, how is it impacting the rest of the world? How would you say? Because I know you said you, um, came to North America and your spiritual awakening happened here in North America. And then you went back and recaptured some of your um, ancient roots. What would you say, how are you seeing the impact of the spiritual awakening that is happening in North America? Yes. Well, let me say this. And I know that this might sound a little controversial for some people, but still I want to put it out there because I feel that, that this is a positive thing to share with you. What I have observed in my experience being in North America and then coming back to my spiritual roots here in Peru, um, also um, coming in touch with, with um, a prophecy that I want to share with you, all of this ties in, okay, my experiences and also the prophecy um, the prophecy says that um, there will come a time when the eagle and the condor will fly together on the same sky. And uh, the interpretation, the most common one, is that the eagle is the north, like North American people, and the condor is the people of the south, so the Incan culture and other, other peoples of the south. But the way I understand the prophecy is a little different. Um, the eagle, the eagle, yes, is is in a way the more Western mentality, the mind, um, you know, leading from the mind and 
being smart and technology and knowledge, all of that. And the condor is the heart, the love, the intuitive pieces, the, the medicine of the heart, really. And it's also the people from the South. But I believe that the eagle and the condor are also people like myself and, and many others, like in North America, people are receiving in the spiritual communities um, medicine from other cultures, like mine, for instance, from from the from the condor, but also from the Eastern cultures. And they're awakening their hearts. They are reawakening to their spiritual nature and to their true divine essence. And when that happens, and we start to take on the role of leaders, which many of us are awakening to this, the role of leaders to share this awakening with other people, to become the conduits for awakening of the divine essence in everyone, then we are becoming ourselves, you know, as an individual, every person, we are becoming the eagle and the condor. We are bringing this prophecy to, to life today. And so this is what I feel that uh, now to answer your question, yes, we're going to that point now. Um, so what do I think about the um what is going to be the consequence or the impact of the spiritual awakening of the North American women or going into spirituality? How is this going to impact the world? Well, I really feel that here is something really important happening. North America, U.S., for instance, is a rich land. And financially and in every way, they have a lot of resources and they're doing very well compared to many other countries, right? Um so what happens is that they do, whether we like it or not, have an impact in other countries, in other communities in the world. So what about them using all of their advantages for good? What about the women of North America who are awakening spiritually, becoming leaders of the divine light and helping awaken the rest of the planet? since they have the ability, since they have uh, the resources. So where I find that my part of my role comes into place uh, is to bring uh, the hard energy, the knowledge and the wisdom, the medicine from um, my sacred Andean culture, from the Incan lineage, to them, to assist them and prepare them to take on the role that they came to take on. Um, because then my work also will have great impact through them. And they are going to be together with me and everyone as, as one. We're going to be bringing this awakening of the divine light to the planet. Uh, but this is something that no one person can do, right? No one person does that. This is a people's um, role in a way is is our responsibility to come together and do this so everyone does their own thing the best you can you you add to to this collective effort if you will and then we're going to get to start seeing results all over the world um, but we need to be mindful that yes we may be working individually but we're actually working also in the collective field and supporting each other strengthening each other healing each other and bringing this prophecy to become a reality. We're bringing this prophecy, you know, to life. 
we definitely are bringing this prophecy to life. And we, the whole purpose of the show is to demonstrate how the divine feminine is reestablishing itself in the world. So, and it's, and as we mentioned, it's not just the divine feminine that we need. We need the divine masculine as well. And it's wonderful to, to, in really the Americas is one, it, it, it's, it was, it's not one land body and there's always been different cultures on the Americas. And I think what we do here is, is, you know, has a huge impact. And we have to remember that energetically we impact, we are connected, even though we're having these individuated experiences, we are a part of one collective being. And I'm really feeling that I'm now connecting more to um, people who are of similar spirit, even though they may not be nearby. What do you think is the unique information um, or gift that the um, Incan spiritual practices brings? Now, that's a beautiful question, Sana. Um well, the biggest gift of the Incan spiritual practices and traditions is um, it has to do with the reconnection with Pachamama, with Mother Earth, and finding God, divine spirit, divine light in Mother Earth, um, bringing us humans back in touch with our spiritual guides uh, beings of divine love and light that have their own sacred codes and medicine in the form of plants, animals, uh, the mountains, uh, the thunder, rain, uh, the earth itself, the crystals on the earth. Like everything has its own energetic code and their own spirit. And reconnecting with them brings a depth of richness in our life experience they support our growth, they support our healing, they support our reconnection with our own divine essence because they are aligned and connected with their own divine essence. And um, it's, it's just such a beautiful thing, you know, that they knew this, the Incan knew this, and nurtured that connection with Pachamama, nurtured a dialogue with the spirits of nature. Um, and that's the most beautiful way to live life. I have to say that in my spiritual practice as an Incan priestess, that is at, at the cornerstone of my work is nurturing that connection. And I enjoy it so much, so much that it feels absolutely exciting to bring women who are ready and willing. They are feeling the calling of Mother Earth. They want to connect. They want to heal or grow with Mother Earth to bring them with me into ceremonial work and for them to learn and to receive that connection and to start having that dialogue. It's really exciting. What can you tell us about um, Incan culture? I've, I've read about it and I've read about Machu Picchu. And what can you share with us about Incan culture or the culture of those who lived in the Andes? I mean, is, is that, are those two different cultures, the Incan cultures and the, the Inca? Because from what I understand, from the Incan culture was huge, and it it spanned um, a, a huge swath of South America. And I'm just wondering if what you can share with us about that. 
Yeah, so the Incan culture, uh, the center, the center of the empire, the Incan empire, is Cusco. Um, and they chose the land of Cusco because of very specific energetic um, imprints here in Cusco in the land. Um, so it's not just that it's beautiful and, and, you know, it goes above and beyond that, but there was something about the land in Cusco uh, where, that makes it that makes it a really beautiful place to connect with, with the energies also of the cosmos and the energy of the land is very strong and healing. So it had some characteristics that made it the perfect place to become the center of the empire. And from there, it did the Incan empire expanded all through other areas, you know, in South America. And it was big. It was very big. Um, and yes, so the Andes, they, they were based in the Andes of Peru and beyond. Um, something important to note about the Incan Empire that I really find very beautiful and important to share is um, that they had a tradition of being always very connected to each other in support and service. There is something called Aini, which is a practice where people, um, for instance, nowadays, right, this is what people would practice in the countryside. Um, one person has a piece of land and that person wants to plant crops. Maybe he doesn't have enough children or enough family members to help him with the planting of the crop. He's going to invite the neighbor. The neighbor will say, sure, I'll do it. I'll help you. And, um, the, you know, the... Um, the general rule is that they're going to help each other, you know, back and forth. So it's kind of like being a good neighbor. You help your neighbor and then your neighbor at other point is going to help you. And so that's how they do things. They build their houses like that, you know, in mutual support. And everyone does it out of free will because this is part of the way that they grew up. This is how they think and it's, it's just natural to them. Um, and, and this is something that is an inheritance from the ancient Incan culture. This is where all of that started. That's how they made the empire big, supporting each other and doing things together. Mm -hmm. What have you learned spiritually? What was, what, well, I guess I, you can't really answer this fully. Can you share a couple of points that you've learned since you returned to Peru? What are some of the spiritual lessons that you've learned when you studied to become a priestess, an Incan priestess? What are spiritual lessons I learned? Any spiritual, do, do you have any one or two spiritual highlights or highlights in your life, change in your thinking that may have happened once you started to study to become a priestess? Yeah, something that comes to mind is the importance and the value of uh, being humble um, and remaining like that, you know, remaining like that as time goes by and as I continue growing in my work and I keep on learning and, and you know, the more that I am able to do and the more I see myself grow in the in, in leadership as as a leader of divine light, which is something I encourage all of my clients and the people who I speak to to become. You know, this is where we're going. You know, becoming leaders of divine light. 
Um, that's nothing that has nothing to do with self-importance or it's, it's something that is not meant to trigger the ego and you become all about it. Wow, I am important, right? <laughs> I am important and what I do is so important. Um, and what I learned is the importance of not allowing the ego to take over, to understanding that we're all conduits of divine light and our job is to become the best conduits we can possibly be and in that as we're doing that we become leaders leaders because uh, we're still in a process of awakening in the planet and a lot of people don't realize this and are being led by the ego mind and they don't even realize Um, but we who are already awakened it is our job it's our, our duty then to um, really commit to divine light and to lead with divine light and love and and have the ego take this um, observer role and to be actually, you know, peaceful, <laughs> if you will, and under the watch of our divine essence, our own soul. Um, so that is something I learned also from my spiritual teachers um, it's really beautiful when you witness people who are ancient at heart in their sacred role being so unassuming, being all about love and connecting to people at where they, wherever they are, they are at. You know, like they really meet people where they're at. And so they have taught me well, you know, with their own example. And I have paid attention and, and this is who I want to be. Mm-hmm. This is who I want to always be and remain. Um, because a spiritual guide or a shaman or a true healer, um, I think they need to really have that that trait, you know, being all about love, being all about light. And that doesn't leave room for, you know, ego, uh, for, you know, yeah. Um, so really pay attention to who you are following or listening or who you choose as your healer, because if it's a person who is coming from the ego and you can see that that person, you know, is leading with the ego, then perhaps that person is not well prepared to take on that role. And and you want to look for somebody else who truly is going to be walking their talk, right? And embracing uh, what is most important at the center overall of the healing work or the sacred spiritual work, and that is love and light, right? Love and light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me, do you ever miss Canada? I know you lived there for a while. Uh, Canada is beautiful, and I do miss it. I love going to visit. Um, yes, it's a beautiful place to be. The reason I live in Peru is truly a sacred calling of the land, because I felt that calling to come and to uh, be very close to my spiritual guides and continue with my sacred path. And and I was called to the land of Cusco to to really work and, and develop here and do my sacred service from this land, for this to be the homeland. Um, yes, if I could have had it my way and I had two bodies and <laughs> I could be in two places, I probably would have wanted to stay in Canada and also be here. But since I had to make a decision, I had to go with the calling. (laughs) 
Well, you know, I think it's wonderful. And I know before we started recording, you were talking about your husband, who was also a priest, and that the two of you support each other in, in your work. That's that's wonderful. How were you able to um, create a balanced relationship so that you could do your sacred work? Did you ever worry that you wouldn't have anyone once you decided to take the spiritual path for your work? No, I never worried about that. And um... Peter is my my soulmate husband, and he happens to be also in the spiritual path of the Incan lineage. He had the calling, and we pretty much started working on this path together very, very closely. Um, he is, you know, really all about love, and he has all of the characteristics that were necessary for the sacred path, which is so, so good and amazing. Um, he's he has the calling of being a supporter, a helper. He holds a space for our clients who is primarily women we work with, with sisters. Um, distance, doing our distance work and also in person in ceremonial retreats. And um, yes, Peter is a great supporter and is deeply connected to his his feminine energy as well. Very intuitive and all of that. Um, so yes, we complement each other very well. And I have um, this sense of being held by the divine masculine energy very strongly. Uh, I always can count on him, and he understands my work and supports it and likes to really be there for for me and for our clients. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. That's amazing that, that you all can work together. So... What do you think the role of a medicine woman is in the ascension into the fifth dimension as we are evolving as human beings? Yes, well, to ascend to the fifth dimension, we need to do a lot of healing and clearing of the past. Not only this, the past in our lifetime here now on earth, but Sometimes also people are carrying heavy burdens from past lifetimes. But whatever it is, you know, the, the things that are holding us back, those things need to be dealt with. They need to be healed and there needs to be plenty of clearing. Um, and, and then from that point on, we need to start coming in touch with our divine essence. Well, the medicine woman needs to be right there to support all of that to happen. The medicine woman will will hold a space, create a sacred container for the healing to happen of the, the other people that the brothers and sisters were working with. The medicine woman will, will help for people to transition from where they used to be to higher realms of getting to know themselves, reconnecting with their souls, and embracing the, the truth, you know, the, the universal truth about unity about we being one with divine spirit with mother earth about um the truth about the energy that moves it all behind the scenes you know that all of these things you know it's, it's very easy to learn these things at the intellectual level you can know what is what and, and have the concept but it's not going to be something that will be integrated in your own body, in your own life experience until you actually do all of the heavy lifting of the healing and clearing and um, 
opening up to receive divine spirit as a clear conduit through you. Well, that's a lot of work and we're not meant to do it by ourselves. That requires expert support and guidance. And that's why a medicine woman is there for that. Medicine women have been born to do that work for themselves with support as well when the time comes. Once they have achieved that and a certain level of stability and growth and healing, they can start then helping other people go through that experience. And in a way, that's why I call it midwifing. You know, we're we're helping people be reborn. And we become now, do, can someone learn to be a medicine woman in some of the work, the courses that you offer, or or a priestess? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I have felt the calling. Again, I don't do anything that is not a calling. And I have to feel it in my heart. And it needs to be something that is is divine guidance coming through. Um, But this is what has happened, you know, that there has been this calling for me to teach a course called Divine Woman Emergence. And um, the Divine Woman Emergence Essentials for the Path of the Medicine Woman. And what that is, is a program that runs over the course of uh, seven months and a half. Um, And we do sessions that include modules where I teach you what I have learned in nearly 10 years of sacred work. Um, There has been a lifetime of experiences during this time um, where I have, you know, gotten from the inspiration and the information to share it with you every every woman who is wanting feeling the calling to be a medicine woman who is also maybe starting on the path of the medicine woman or perhaps you're already a medicine woman doing sacred work but you have been coming up against darkness in ways that have been scary (laughs) Um, this is something that I also am very mindful of you know there are there are very uh, important things that the medicine woman needs to know and learn to navigate the waters of the sacred service because not always it is easy, right? It's not all puppies and roses. It can be pretty and beautiful and exciting, but there is also stuff that can be extremely challenging. And so I, the program not only has this component of the teachings and guidance and the this important uh, foundational blocks, right, for you to walk on the path of a medicine woman. I also have included uh, divine light transmissions of principles that will serve you well for the rest of your life in the medicine woman path. Um, and also there is life healing. Uh, because guess what? There is not much you can do. You cannot be a strong medicine woman if you are um, still dealing with with, you know, wounds that are painful. Like if you are still struggling with some stuff, family dynamics or uh, wounds from your childhood or um, stuff that happened when you were a young woman. I mean, like that needs to be top priority. Life healing is top priority. And so I include that in the, you know, in the program, in the Divine Woman Emergence. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. It sounds like a wonderful program. And I really thank you so much for um, for coming on the show. Corianka, can you, um, High Priestess, Incan High Priestess, Corianka, um, I want to say, uh, Cornie- I can't roll that R, Cornejo. Corn- 
Say for me, please. Yes, my last name, Cornejo. <laughs> Cornejo. Thank you so much for joining me. How can people get in touch with you if they would like more information? Oh, I would be so happy to connect with you. Uh, if you feel the calling and you feel that I can do something for you, I can support you in any way, um, you can go to my online home. It's called alturasspiritualjourneys.com. And Sana, you're going to share the link, right? Yes, I'll share it in the in the show notes. Awesome. Yes. So when you go to alturasspiritualjourneys.com, you can find there um, the programs that I have. I have a blog. Um, I have also a, a podcast. And there is some content there for you. And you can also find ways to connect with me. There are links to do consultations. And if you are interested in, in you know, taking any of the programs, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining me, Koryanka. High Priestess, Incan High Priestess, thank you for joining me. This is Center Her Power podcast, and I look forward to seeing you next time or hearing you next time. Thank you so much for joining me for In the Center of Her Power podcast. I sincerely hope that you were fed with divine feminine soul food. Please like or subscribe or share the podcast. And until next time, shine.